Welcome back to another edition of the Cats Illustrated Podcast. I am your host and publisher, Justin Rowland, and joining me today is Gabe Diarman of PowerMizzou.com. Nobody does a better job of covering Missouri basketball, football, all other sports than, than Gabe, and he's already helped us out some this week. He's going to help us out again here. Gabe, thanks for coming on, man. How are you doing? No problem. What's up, Justin? Not a whole lot, uh, but you know, before we get to football, Gabe, obviously we got to bring up the gut-wrenching Injury to Jonte Porter, Missouri's basketball player. When John Calipari heard the news, he said he was sitting at the at the podium talking to media there in Lexington, and he said it just made him nauseous. You know that family yeah. has been through the ringer with those kinds of injuries. Tell us what happened, how people are reacting, and and what it means for Missouri basketball. And are they cursed? Yeah, I mean it happened. It happened in a scrimmage against Southern Illinois. You know it's. It's funny they they call them secret scrimmages. I mean they're not secrets. Everybody knows about them. Nobody can go. But uh, happened on Sunday afternoon and um, just devastating on so many fronts. First of all, for a kid that could have been in the NBA this year. I mean, Jonte could have gone pro last year. He was a borderline first round pick, but at worst would have been a high second round pick. Probably would have made a roster. Probably would be making money right now. He came back to school and obviously is not making money. Um, I know that's a touchy subject these days with college basketball players, but, um, you know, is, is a college basketball player rather than pro. Now he's not going to play at all. It is crippling for the Missouri basketball team in the immediate future. I mean, he was the best inside player on the team. He was probably the best shooter on the team. He was going to be asked to handle the ball some. Uh, he was the best shot blocker on the team, the best rebounder on the team. I, I mean, this is, from a personnel standpoint, considering what else we know is around him, this may be more devastating for Missouri than losing Michael was last year. Wow. I, I mean, it is uh, – I don't know exactly how they replace this. Yeah, well, you know, yes, last week I want to I say at uh, SEC Media Days, the media picked Mizzou to finish ninth in the SEC, yeah. and that was before the news came out, and most years ninth is like, okay, that's kind of mediocre, but this year that, that means people thought you were right there on the bubble, Missouri yeah. basketball. I, I guess this, this is obviously a huge setback for them. I do want to sh- shift gears to uh, to football pretty quickly. Um Gabe, Missouri opened as a one-touchdown favorite against Kentucky, and I think Kentucky fans are kind of like thriving on this nobody-respects-us kind of thing, but you can see why Vegas opens the line this way. I mean, Kentucky's offense has been basically pretty bad for two and a half games now, and they're probably just asking, can they score enough to win this game? Is that your read on, on kind of the line and how it stands? Yeah, I think that's why it is where it is. I mean, people also have to remember, lines aren't predictions. Lines are what can we get kind of both sides to bet equally so we don't lose. And, you know, the simple fact is, and Missouri fans deal with this too, but Kentucky is dealing with people setting lines and making bets based on the name on the front of the jersey. I think a lot of people still don't realize how good this team is because it's Kentucky and they're not used to Kentucky being good. I was not surprised Missouri was favored, especially at home. I was a little surprised it was seven. Um, I didn't think it would be quite that much, but you're right. It's all about people expect Missouri to be able to score a a decent amount of points. Like, I don't think anybody's thinking they're going to hang 45 on Kentucky or anything, but people expect Missouri to be able to score. And Kentucky just hasn't really proven it can score. This game is, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but Kentucky wants to win this game 17-14, and Missouri wants to win it 31-24. 
Yeah, and that's the huge question. Two and a half games, Kentucky's offense has really struggled. Mark Stoops has said that he might play several quarterbacks this week. Now, Jeff Drummond... How many, how many is several? That's a, that's a good question. You know when. And does it count Benny Snell as a quarterback? Because ben, he's going to take some snaps, but he's not a quarterback. Benny Snell, that could count. Lynn Bowden could count. It might just be Wilson, Bowden, and Snell. But we got the impression initially that he was talking about Gunnar Hoke and maybe Danny Clark and... You know, Jeff Drummond, who covers Kentucky day-to-day on the practice beat, said that he spoke with the quarterback's coach yesterday, and he, he got the impression that they don't have a clear plan, and they're just preparing in case they need to. So, it's a lot of misdirection right now. Um, yeah. ha- has Missouri's co- have Missouri's coaches talked about preparing for different quarterbacks at all, or are they just kind of going under the assumption that they've just got to defend the guy that they've seen on tape every week? Yeah, you know, I, I think they're I, I mean they'll have a plan, obviously, if somebody else comes in, but like if it if we're counting Snell and Bowden and guys like that as quarterbacks, like it doesn't change what Kentucky does. Benny Snell's not gonna be a quarterback and start throwing the football uh all right. over the field. I mean they may have a play in there where they do that, but it's not gonna be consistent. I mean, you know, Missouri played Georgia, which is his um put uh Justin Fields on the on the field a little bit. They played Alabama that's played two in almost every game. They played South Carolina with actually the backup as the quarterback, but also preparing for Jake Bentley because, frankly, I talked to Missouri coaches before that game, and they didn't believe Will Muschamp when he said Jake Bentley wasn't going to play. They they thought that was Will Muschamp just kind of setting them up and, and with the little games that shit. Now, obviously, it wasn't. but So they've prepared for multiple quarterbacks. And, and I think most teams, like people hear multiple quarterbacks, and teams just don't drastically change the offense in a week. I mean, the guy back there is is going to be a little bit different, but for the most part, you don't have two quarterbacks that are so diametrically opposite that you run different things. I mean, this isn't a it's not usually a Tim Tebow, Chris Leak situation, you know, where it's like, okay, when this guy's on the field, we're going to throw the ball all over, and then when this guy comes in, we're just going to run. Um, and now maybe Kentucky's like that. I don't know anything about the backup. I don't know what they would do if it were a different quarterback. But I think mostly teams run their offense. Right. And the, the reason it shocked all of us is when you're Kentucky and you're 6-1, and one, I mean, they're not 1-6. When you're talking about right. throwing three different quarterbacks out there, it's a little bit surprising. I think another reason why you know people think Missouri has a, has a real chance in this game is Kentucky wants to run the ball, and it's kind of strength on strength. I mean, they're 0-3 in the SEC, but Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, these teams have not really run all over Missouri. Like, Georgia and Alabama commit to the run, and they're going to run, but this is a pretty solid run defense, is it not? Yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, you know, Memphis really ran the ball pretty well on them last year, even or last week, even without Daryl Henderson. But I thought there was a little trade-off in Missouri's game plan for that game, which was they have had a nightmare of a time getting any pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And so I thought last week they made some trade-offs and said, we're, we're going to do some things to put a little more pressure on Brady White. And, yeah, we may get out of some gaps, and they may get some running yards against us, but we're willing to make that trade-off this week. Um, The question I asked all the Missouri defensive players and coaches yesterday was, you know, defenses always say they want to make teams one-dimensional. How unique is it to play a team that makes itself one-dimensional? I mean, because that that's kind of what Kentucky is doing. They're, I was shocked at the numbers when I looked at them. I mean, I knew they threw for 18 yards last week, but I couldn't believe they were only averaging 127 a game. I mean, this isn't a team 
that is going to go out and throw the football all that much. Um, and I don't know. I haven't watched a ton of Kentucky, but have they faced a team this year where they haven't really been able to run the ball and, and the passing game has been forced to make any plays? The, the one the one was Texas A&M. Texas A&M. And which was the game they lost. Yeah, yes. and so some of that was offensive line penalties setting them back and down in distance situations. But Texas A&M, I think Missouri might have the second best run defense that, that Kentucky will have faced this season, even maybe better than Florida. So and, and it'll be I interesting. Think the clear game plan here has to be, look, you just put eight guys in the box. And if Kentucky can beat you throwing the football, then tip your cap and move on. But you have to force them to do it. I mean, if you let Benny Snell come in here and run for 180 yards, and that's why Kentucky beat you, like something is wrong with your game plan. Right. Yeah, and, and he's still going to get his yards against most teams. But the, the interesting thing about Mark Stoops is he's been around for six years, and it just looks like he's totally comfortable playing the ugliest, lowest-scoring game imaginable, so long as... I, I, covered, yeah. I covered a program for, or I saw a program every year that is a great comparison for this. When Kansas State was, was yeah. going well under Bill Snyder, yep. like, they were god-awful boring games to watch. Yep. I, I mean, it was, it was not fun football, but what Bill Snyder did is he just held the ball, he ran the play clock down to three every single time, he was fine getting one first down and then punting, and he just sat around and waited for the other team to make mistakes and beat themselves. Right. And they almost always did. And so what happened is you get to the end of the game and say, wait, I think you know Missouri or Nebraska or Oklahoma State or whoever, I think they're better than Kansas State. Right. But they just beat themselves, and, and I think there's a lot of that going on with Kentucky, and I know that sounds unfair, but I think Kentucky is perfectly fine, playing patient, playing to its strengths, and waiting for the other team to beat itself, and then that happens, and so then the other team says, well, I don't think Kentucky's very good. Well, maybe, but you did exactly what they wanted you to do, and they deserve credit for that. That's right, yeah, week in, week out. The, the way spread offenses have gone in football, you know, everybody's trying to score 50, 60 a week. What makes Kentucky a really difficult play is you're probably only going to get 58, 60, 65 right. plays against this team. And, and, and what yeah. you do in situations like that is your offense then knows we might not get the ball back for seven minutes. We have to do something here. And you put pressure on yourself, and you go three and out, and then all of a sudden you get to the end of the first half, and the time of possession is 23-7. to seven. Yeah, and this strategy has worked. It's put them in the 5-7 to seven win range for four consecutive years. What makes this year different is they actually have some elite personnel on defense where they can really, they can really mess with a team. Um, somebody who struggled recently, Gabe, Drew Locke, uh, he struggled in SEC play this year. One touchdown, five interceptions. If you look at his numbers for the year, the disconnect is just staggering. What's going on with Drew Locke? And it, it seems like to, it, it's defying the odds that he's not having more success against SEC teams as, as talented as he is. You just wrap, It's not this year. It's Drew's career. Right. I, I mean, he has put up ridiculous numbers against the teams Missouri should beat against you know the non-conference opponents against whether it's Vanderbilt when Kentucky wasn't very good well he hasn't actually beaten Kentucky so that's not fair but you know whatever the the worst SEC teams on SEC teams on their schedule he's been pretty good and actually was pretty good against Kentucky last year the defense was just awful yeah. um, but when they've run into good defenses he it's not just that he hasn't been good i mean he's been really bad now this year 
I thought he was actually pretty decent in the Georgia game. I think he threw for, I, I can't remember, 240 or something like that. He had a lot of drops in that game. Um, his number one wide receiver, Emmanuel Hall, was nothing more than a decoy. They didn't even look at him all day. He could, he wasn't healthy. He hasn't played in three weeks. Nate Brown hasn't played the last three weeks. He was a starting wide receiver. So that has a lot to do with it. But the recipe to beat Missouri, and this is what, We're going to find out if Kentucky has. The teams who have made Missouri look really bad over the last few years are the Floridas, the LSUs, the guys who have the athletes at defensive back, and this is what Georgia had in the game this year, that they can go play Missouri's receivers one-on-one and just, you know, just put pressure on Drew Locke and force him into mistakes. If you can do that, this offense has shown uh, an ability to, you know, turn the ball over and do things to really hurt itself. So that's what, and you obviously know Kentucky's personnel. I know it's a really good defense. I think Missouri fans and probably SEC fans in general are underselling this defense. I think it's the second best defense on Missouri's schedule, maybe third behind Florida. Um, but I don't know if they have the guys that can just say, okay, we're going to put this guy on Albert Okuwe Bunam. We're going to put this guy on Jalen Knox. We're going to put this guy on Jonathan Johnson. And then we're going to put all kinds of pressure on Drew Locke. I, I don't know if they have that in the secondary or not. I think Derek Beatty, cornerback, they have excellent personnel in the back half. What makes Missouri unique is I think they have a little bit deeper. They, they, they test the depth of your secondary a little bit, maybe more than some other schools, and you never really know until you see it. I think something else that makes this Missouri team a little bit dangerous is it's not just the Drew Locke show. I mean, this is a team that rushed for 286 against South Carolina, 273 against Memphis, 233 against Purdue. I mean, you think Missouri, a lot of people think, spread them out and a little bit finesse, sling the ball around, but this is a pretty physical rushing attack, isn't it? Yeah, this is the difference with Derek Dooley replacing Josh Heupel. I mean, last year they were that wing it all over, build Drew Locke's stats, get Josh Heupel a head coaching job, all that. And they did that. They've got... Uh, two different running backs have had at least 150 in a game. Larry Rountree, I think, has had a couple hundred-yard games. He's the team's leading rusher, but Demaria Crockett ran for 1,000 as a true freshman two years ago. Tyler Beatty is a freshman from Memphis who actually was the tailback on Missouri's game-winning drive against Purdue and made really the biggest play of that game on a 20-yard catch. So they've got three guys, and what they do is just they use the first quarter and a half to figure out, okay, who's hot today? Who's got it? And then we're going with that guy you know, for the majority of the snaps. I mean, all three of these guys have had games where they didn't really see the field for more than about 10 or 15 plays because the other two guys were just having better days. And so, yeah, they can beat teams running the football. And, you know, this this Missouri team would be looked at so much differently if they had made one more play against South Carolina. I mean, if they make one more play, or frankly, if there are not just biblical rainstorms that really hampered what they were doing on offense, if they win that game, they're 5-2 and two with the two losses, a pretty competitive loss against Georgia, and then a loss to Alabama that, while it wasn't competitive, was the most competitive anybody's been with them all season long. So if that's the case, I think Missouri's ranked coming into this game. They didn't make the plays against South Carolina, and they're 4-3, and 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 they don't have an SEC win. Now that you mention it, if they win that South Carolina game, their resume is virtually identical to, like, Texas A&M's. Their only losses are to uh, Alabama and Clemson. Yeah, exactly. So what are Missouri fans thinking? You know, from an outside perspective, somebody who follows college football, 
and I think this is this was a shared opinion by a lot of people. Gary Pinkle leaves. I think you know my assumption was there is no way whoever succeeds him is going to approach the kind of success that he had. But then last year, Barry Odom. You know, Missouri probably has the biggest turnaround of any team in college football over the second half of the schedule. Are fans looking at the schedule and saying, you know what, this team is a lot better than 0-3 in the SEC. Barry Odom's still the guy? Or what? what's the public perception of Barry Odom in, in, where he's at right now? Well, I always couch this question with, or this answer by starting with, when you do what you and I do, you deal with the, like, lunatic fringe right. of the lunatic fringe. Yep. I mean, Missouri fans have wanted Barry Odom fired for three weeks. <laughs> um, a lot of them have wanted him fired for three years because that's what we deal with on a daily basis. I right. don't think that's the general pulse of the fan base, but it is the pulse of the people who post on message boards and tweet. Right. Um, and again, that would all change had the South Carolina outcome changed. Should he just won that game, like no doubt we're talking about you know, a, a whole different thing. Um I looked at this schedule at the very beginning of the season, or really when it first came out, and I said, if you can get through the first six games at three and three, you're in good shape. Now, if you can get through them at four and two, you're in great shape, and you might be able to win the East if you get a tiebreaker or something like that. And again, Missouri was very close to doing that. It didn't happen, but... You've always looked at the second half of this schedule, and it's changed a little bit because obviously Kentucky's better than most people thought it was going to be. I think, uh, you know, South Carolina and Georgia aren't quite as good, and then Florida is better than a lot of people thought it was going to be. So I, I think the minimum expectation Missouri fans have is finishing seven and five. That would include losses to Kentucky and Florida. But realistically, to take the next step, to feel confident about the future, Missouri needs to either get a win here or get a win in Gainesville in two weeks. They would they would have beaten you know a ranked team, a, a team with a winning record in the SEC. It's something they've only done one time in the last three years under Barry Odom. They beat Arkansas a couple years ago at the end of the season. They finished eight and five. Um, but other than that, they've lost to everybody they've played with a winning record in the Power Five conference. So that's the hurdle. That's the next step for this program to to feel good. And look, if, if Missouri wins this game. Then on Sunday morning, I'm telling everybody, like, I don't care what you want to happen. Barry Odom is going to be the coach here next year. I, I mean, I think he will be anyway, but if he wins this game, there's no question. Yeah, the difference between success and failure is so razor thin. You know, that, that yep. South Carolina game would have changed a lot of perceptions. Gabe, thanks for joining us, man. Have a good one. All right, Justin. Sounds good. Thanks Bye-bye. for having me, man. Yep. That was Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com. Does an outstanding job covering Missouri here on the Rivals.com Yahoo Sports Network. He's about as objective as they come. He is a big Royals fan, so, you know, finally getting a taste of success a few years ago with that, but he is he is just a professional, a consummate professional. I did want to remind everyone that we are still partnering with Canfield Realty Group, which is currently offering a 40% commission rebate. That's the current deal when you buy a home with Steve Canfield as your agent, no strings, 100% legal, we're proud to have Canfield Realty Group as a Cats Illustrated sponsor, and you're seeing this because we think they're offering something of interest to our community. Steve Canfield has a perfect five-star rating, 119 reviews on 104 sales in the past year at Zillow, and his reviews, uh, which you can find at the website uh, that they've shared with us, CanfieldRealtyGroup.com. That's C-A-N-F-I-E-L-D RealtyGroup.com. Those reviews at that website speak for themselves. Um, you can also call him directly at 
5687. That's 5026495687. Steve's been working in real estate for 41 years, has sold over 3,400 properties, and is ranked in the top 10 out of 3,500 agents in the Louisville area. So if you, you and your partner, have had a conversation about wanting to find a new home, you're ready to move into your dream home, you're ready to to, to go bigger, you're ready to downsize, whatever your life circumstances are, let Steve work with you and you get a 40% commission rebate. You put that money in to whatever you want or just pocket it. It's a great time to buy a home with Steve Canfield of Canfield Realty. I did want to shift gears to recruiting really quickly because, again, everybody is interested in how is Kentucky going to turn this season into recruiting success in the short term and in the long term. Sean Kel Knight Goff. Louisville Doss, athlete, outside linebacker, versatile prospect, multi-positional player, uh, who used to be committed to Kentucky, uh, is going to be deciding between Kentucky and Louisville this Friday during his game. And I have made a prediction at the website. Uh, it shouldn't come as any surprise that I think Kentucky is going to get Knight Goff back on board. And back on board, and my confidence in that pick is high. And if you go to the House of Blue or if you check the front page of CatsIllustrated.com and follow the link on the story, uh, what we're hearing about Sean Kel Mike Goff's decision, you will get the rationale for that as well as kind of a brief scouting report what kind of player he can be. I did want to touch on Wandale Robinson. Uh, apparently his father was quoted at Omaha.com, a Nebraska newspaper news outlet, as saying that he has pretty much narrowed his options to Nebraska, Kentucky, and Ohio State. Did not take the trip to Purdue, I can confirm. Uh, and Purdue appears to be out. And I don't think I don't know what exactly Wandale has said, but this is right in line with what we've been hearing and what we've been saying for a couple of weeks now. Nebraska, Kentucky, Ohio State. I would not be surprised if it's any of those three schools. I do think that there are obvious perks and benefits if, if you were to pick Kentucky, but I think Nebraska is a lot stronger uh, with Robinson than really anybody thought that they were going to be able to be or hold as. Uh, and Ohio State, it seems like Ohio State people, sources, people who cover Ohio State, um, the general vibe is the Buckeyes are confident, but I think right now at this moment in time, their confidence might be overblown just a little bit. J.J. Weaver, the four-star defensive end from Louisville, is going to be visiting Louisville this weekend. He visited Kentucky last weekend. I'm told that the visit went extremely well to Kentucky, that it didn't need to be a game-changer because Kentucky was probably the front-runner going into that trip. Kentucky, Purdue, Miami. But it seems like Kentucky's very confident with where they stand. Before the trip, I had been hearing that Kentucky and Purdue were really still battling it out neck and neck. With Miami, uh, an option. We just have to see. I think Louisville is probably a long shot, especially the way that their season is going, especially given the questions over Bobby Petrino's um, tenure at Louisville and how that's going to play out. Uh, and one other player in state, Milton Wright. Um, I would give Purdue the edge right now. I flip my rival's forecast pick from Kentucky to Purdue. I know Dave Lackford really likes Purdue's chances with Milton Wright right now. Um, honestly, you know, I, I did notice an uptick or sense an uptick or hear about an uptick in confidence from the Kentucky side on Milton Wright, but it's just going to be very hard to recruit uh, wide receivers given the way that the passing game has gone this season. That's just real talk, you know. And I noticed a couple of people on Twitter 
you know, they seem to be annoyed by media uh, asking receivers what they thought about Kentucky's passing game this year, and that's just it's just news. It's just these are conversations that are happening in in recruits' homes between recruits and Kentucky coaches. I think they've done very well to get DeMonte Crooms and DeMarcus Harris on board in this class because Harris is like leading the state of Florida in receiving yards, over 1,100 receiving yards, and DeMonte Crooms has had an exceptional year as well. I mean, given the way that the passing game has gone, it could be worse. I think both of those guys are pretty solid. Um, obviously, we're following Kentucky's junior college recruiting efforts. Uh, Kamar Bell, the Colquitt County offensive guard, teammate of Jay Ward, the cornerback who's committed to Kentucky, uh, a couple of K- Kentucky commitments who were waiting to see if Kentucky would be able to keep them on board. Kayvon Butler, the defensive tackle who officially visited Michigan State over the weekend. He's still going to officially visit Ohio State. Still going to officially visit Michigan. Apparently, he's not quite a take for Michigan State at this point. They want to see his academic situation clear up a little bit more. Um, I thought that was interesting, but... Uh, at the very least, it seems like Kayvon Butler is very interested in some other schools, and I think that's been well-known for a while. Jay Ward picked up the verbal offer from LSU, and as a defensive back, you know that's got to be a little bit concerning because LSU, DBU, right? I don't think anybody uh, could really argue too much with that. Kentucky secondary has played at a very high level. They have a very attractive situation with so many defensive backs leaving. Uh, and I'm also told that he's a little bit down the, the wish list for LSU right now. So that's honestly a positive sign. He's had a tremendous season. And we'll just have to wait and see how all this plays out. It's going to be a fascinating next couple of months with the early signing period, the second year of the December signing period, when Kentucky and every other school out there is going to be trying to lock down the majority of its class, the, the great majority of its class, in December before the, the traditional February signing period. And right now... Uh, I would say it's a pretty typical Mark Stoops class for Kentucky. Maybe not quite as much star power at the top, but definitely some guys, Jake Pope, Jalen Geiger, Jay Ward, some guys that I think Travis Tisdale are being slept on a little bit um, and have a lot of long-term potential. So we're all going to be following it at the House of Blue. We're going to be tracking it at Cats Illustrated. I'm supposed to talk to quarterback Bo Allen tonight. I'll definitely be asking him about where Kentucky stands, what he thinks about Kentucky's 6-1 and one start this season, uh, what he thinks about the state of Kentucky's passing game, where Duke is at, what he thinks about the direction of both offenses. I mean, j- just all the relevant stuff. We're going to have that at Cats Illustrated. Um Walker Parks, I did want to mention Walker Parks, the offensive lineman from Kentucky 2020, same class as Allen, uh, committed to Clemson. Was not shocked to see that. For me, the question was going to be whether uh, he was going to be a take for Clemson, and he obviously was. I think he's got tremendous upside. I want to say Rivals ranks him as like the number five player in Kentucky for the 2020 class. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he turns out to be the best player from Kentucky in the 2020 class because he's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. He's getting docked in the rankings a little bit now, I think, because he, he, he looks undersized. But Kentucky believed that this guy was going to be like 285 next year, 300 the year after that. And, and there are no questions about his athleticism, his toughness, his technique. Uh, and that's a big get for Clemson, a big loss for Kentucky. they got to start keeping more of those guys at home. But Kentucky, Missouri this weekend, I will be there in Columbia. We'll be providing updates at the House of Blue. A lot of recruiting, 
Obviously, a lot of basketball recruiting stuff going on with David Sisk. I'll try to get him on the podcast in the near future. Thank you for listening, and everybody have a great day. Great rest of your week.